When you think of the Bible, what comes to mind? Do you think of it as a collection of stories with timeless truth woven through them? Or maybe you think of it as God's little instruction book, full of tidbits of knowledge and instructions for any situation you can imagine. You just need to flip to the right passage and there the instructions will be. A lot of us will look at a Bible story or a Bible passage and ask ourselves, uh, so what does this tell me to do, right? That's kind of what sermons are about, right? Well, listen to today's Bible verses from Matthew chapter 10, the very end of the chapter, verses 40 through 42. Jesus says, whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. So most of us will hear these words and ask that question, what does this verse tell me to do? And we'll think about it and we'll decide that Jesus is telling us to welcome the stranger, right? It's a, a legal mindset way of thinking. Jesus says, whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, and I'm supposed to welcome the stranger, and when I do that, I'm welcoming Jesus and the one who sent Jesus. Okay, all right, that's, that's not a bad interpretation. Uh, but then we get into some stickier pieces. Since Jesus says whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Okay, so then I'm supposed to welcome a prophet, and then I'll get a prophet's reward. But what was a prophet's reward? Most of the real prophets were rejected. That doesn't sound like a great reward. Okay, uh, then Jesus says, whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And so that means, again, that I'm supposed to welcome the righteous and then I will receive the reward of the righteous. All right. And then Jesus says this thing about giving a cup of cold water to one of the little ones in the name of a disciple and they will not lose their reward. So this means that I'm supposed to offer a cup of cold water, whatever someone else might need, uh, to the needy and the oppressed in order that I don't lose any of these rewards. But we talk about grace, and we talk about not having to earn the love of Christ, the grace of Christ, not having to earn salvation. We don't have to uh, work our way up the ladder till we reach the highest point, and then we receive our place in heaven, right? Because all of that was accomplished for us through Jesus' death and resurrection and in our baptisms. So now what? Now what do we do with this? 
Well, there's a different question that we can ask and maybe a better question. Not all of our stories from the Bible are commandments, rules to follow. Um, so if we're not looking at rules to follow or direct commands of Jesus, right? Uh, like love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, those are words of Jesus that are commandments. But what if we ask just simply, what does this story mean? What do these verses mean? And in these two verses, we can notice a couple things. First, in that very first line, it says, whoever welcomes you welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. So Jesus is saying to anyone who hears this, the people that he first spoke it to, and all the people that hear the words after that, including you and me, um, not in the place of the ones offering the welcome, but in the place of the ones receiving the welcome, which is different. So this is not a commandment, this is a promise. And it's not just about you, the individual, right? Or me, Pastor Megan, when I'm reading it. In the original Greek, it's plural. It's more like when you go down south and someone says, hey y'all, right? You all will be welcomed by some. And when you are welcomed, you all will be manifesting both the presence of Christ and the Father in heaven's presence. So you are not the one welcoming. You are the one being welcomed. So let's unpack that a little bit more. It's one thing to be in that position of welcoming others into our church, our home, our lives, right? We make those invitations all the time. And in fact, we think about that in kind of a default way, right? When we think about welcoming, we think of ourselves as the hosts, the ones who are setting the table, waiting for others to join us. And when we take on that role, that means we have the power. We get to make the decisions as to who we will invite and when, right? When we are the ones doing the welcoming, we can control the circumstances, the settings, and the surroundings, and we can also determine when that welcome will come to an end. It's a completely different situation, however, when we find ourselves on the other side as the ones being welcomed the ones at the mercy of another, the ones wondering if this welcome is also for us. Dr. Caroline Lewis uh, helps us to unpack this. She writes uh, that from this brief and seemingly benign statement of Jesus, we recognize a key component of the kingdom of heaven, vulnerability. And she quotes, one of my favorite authors, Brene Brown. Brene Brown defines vulnerability as uncertainty, 
risk, and emotional exposure. Dr. Lewis goes on to say, I'd like to think that Jesus knew the true meaning of vulnerability. After all, to be human is to be vulnerable, and so therefore we should expect vulnerability to be at the very heart of the incarnation, the very heart of the Word made flesh. And the tricky part about this is we often associate vulnerability with weakness, right? Uh, and when we get those things mixed up, especially in our work as the church, not in the building the church, but as the body of Christ, it sidelines the truth that could make it strong. That God stands in solidarity with humanity and our fundamental need for connection, belonging, intimacy, and love. Jesus shows that all throughout the Gospels, right? Jesus eats with sinners and tax collectors and the ones no one else will eat with. Jesus touches lepers and women who are bleeding. Jesus isn't afraid to go into those places of difficulty and suffering and be with people in love to share their lives, and to bring them good news of God's kingdom. Brene Brown notes that vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage. Truth and courage aren't always comfortable, but they are never weakness. Somewhere along the line, we miss that. We lose our view of the fact that God becoming human was just as much of a vulnerability as God's death in Jesus Christ. We have a vulnerable God, and that is a great thing. Relationships of any sort are vulnerable. We know what it feels like to open ourselves up to another person, risking that we will be rejected. But we also know what it feels like to have that risk responded to with acceptance and care and love. By instigating a relationship with us, God decided and determined that vulnerability is at the heart of faith. And so we are called to that too. We are called to be vulnerable in the midst of all that is going on around us. And to move into a place of having to be welcomed instead of being the ones who are welcoming. Because in the end, God had to trust the welcome of the world to make a home here to abide here and to make the kingdom of heaven be known here in the person of Jesus. And now we, as the body of Christ, have been tasked with that same thing, which goes against our culture, which goes against that idea of independence and, and pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps because we are strong. We are strong, but it is our courage and our truth, our vulnerability, 
that makes us strong. Our willingness to be the ones as guests, not as hosts. When we start to imagine what it must feel like to rely on the welcome of others, then perhaps we will have a sense of this kind of vulnerability that Jesus knew and Jesus lived and that we are called to as well. And so this looks like giving up our power, letting go of the responsibility of hosting, getting outside of our comfort zones, and in fact going to places of discomfort and getting used to not being the one in charge or the one whose voice is not heard first or the loudest. I've been doing some racial justice work in my own life, and I joined a new Facebook group called Be the Bridge. And one of the requirements of this group is that once you join, you have to be quiet for three months. And being quiet in a Facebook group means that you cannot post anything in the group or comment on another post. You can like something, right, that little thumbs up sign, but that's it. That's all you can do for three whole months in this group. The idea is not that you just go away and do other things on Facebook, but instead you are in the group listening and watching and learning in those three months. And not only listening to those who are already in the group, but especially listening to the words of the black, indigenous, and people of color in the group. It means that instead of responding with my words and my voice, I have to spend my time simply absorbing their words into my heart and mind and wrestling with them on my own before I voice my own opinion or add my own thoughts or my very first reaction. It means that I am required to watch videos and listen to podcasts with black and indigenous and people of color speakers and not do anything more but take in those stories and those experiences. What it does is it takes my voice out of the main narrative because my white, heterosexual, cisgender voice is almost always one that is listened to over and above the voices of my black, indigenous, people of color, and LGBTQIA siblings and all the intersections in those groups. So my job is to sit back in those spaces and wait to be welcomed. Not because I'm being rejected and not because they don't want me there, but because they want me to know the fullness of the experience. So what might happen if we heard Jesus' instructions to wait to be welcomed as an invitation to understand God's kingdom in a new way? 
that we are not always the very ones that are carrying Jesus out into the world because Jesus is already there. What if we consider that our job now as the body of Christ is to go out and connect in new ways and in new places with our fellow siblings in Christ? What would we learn by listening closely and sharing those uncomfortable spaces and having the experience of waiting to be welcomed instead of automatically assuming that we will be? I think we might experience grace and love of the neighbor in a different way. I think we might discover the unexpected ways that God is working in the midst of conflict and strife and turmoil. And I think we might even discover solidarity and friendship with the ones that we always thought of as outsiders or other. May we be strengthened by the Holy Spirit to wait to listen carefully for the invitation to be welcomed. And may God's kingdom come and God's will be done through the whole body of Christ on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.